This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And special offer to Skaboom listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash Skaboom. That's betterhelp.com slash Skaboom. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. start with a few facts about firearms in the U.S. According to the article, A Brief History of Guns in the U.S., that was published in 2021 by Hopkins Bloomberg Public Health Magazine, in 2018, Americans owned a total of 393 million guns. That roughly translates into one gun for every American. According to a 2020 Gallup survey, Firearms can be found in 44% of U.S. households. And tragically, according to a 2017 Pew Research Center report, nearly half of all Americans know someone who has been shot. So how did we get here? The quick answer? A terrifying brew of politics, racism, and fear have contributed to America's exceptional proliferation of guns. Oh, and let's not forget the often misinterpreted Second Amendment, which gun owners claim guarantees them the right to bear arms. But the truth behind the creation of the Second Amendment, which reads, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, is much more sinister. According to Emory University professor Carol Anderson, the amendment's origin was a bribe. When the Constitution was drafted, Revolutionary War hero Patrick Henry of Virginia warned that Southerners couldn't count on federal help if enslaved people revolted. James Madison needed Virginia's vote to ratify the Constitution, so he promised to draft a Bill of Rights once Congress met. For this reason, Anderson argues, the Second Amendment is steeped in anti-blackness, and we continue to feel the reverberations of this bribe today.
but let's dig a bit deeper into the history of America's gun obsession. Soon after the end of the Civil War, gun makers, faced with a surplus of firearms, sought peacetime customers. They convinced dry goods stores to sell handguns alongside flour and sugar. They ran classified ads in newspapers, and they told parents that a rifle would help real boys to develop sturdy manliness. Private gun ownership dramatically expanded. The end of slavery also catalyzed the formation of armed groups, some seeking to protect newly freed black men and women, others to terrorize them. During Reconstruction, after the end of the Civil War, white supremacist military groups like the White League in Louisiana used guns to threaten and sometimes murder black freedmen attempting to vote. Despite the role that gunslingers have played in American movies, TV, and popular culture, by the early 1900s, 43 states had limited or banned firearms in public places. Gun control would become sharply divisive only with passage of the Federal Gun Control Act of 1968, made law after the assassinations of President John F. Kennedy, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., and Robert F. Kennedy. The legislation limited interstate sales of firearms, but did little to satisfy gun control advocates. Popular music has weighed in on guns and gun violence. The opening music for this episode is the special's cover of Blam Blam Fever by the Valentines, a Jamaican rock-steady band who were commenting on the epidemic of gun violence on the island in the 60s. Other notable bands have weighed in on guns, including the Beatles, on Happiness is a Warm Gun. The song was written by John Lennon and appears on the White Album, released in 1968, the same year the Gun Control Act was made law. During an interview with Rolling Stone magazine in 1970, Lennon shared that the song title and lyric was inspired by an article he saw in the American Rifleman, a magazine published by the National Rifle Association. In the article, the author recalled taking his seven-year-old son shooting for the first time. The article inspired Lennon, who called the title, Fantastic, Insane, A Warm Gun Means You've Just Shot Something. Said Lennon, I thought it was so crazy that I made a song out of it. Eerily, Lennon would be assassinated by Mark David Chapman, who was wielding a 38 Special Revolver in New York City in December 1980. Just two months after Lennon's death, the selector would release Celebrate the Bullet, whose repeated refrain of, because you know it won't bring them back to you, is the voice of everyone who has suffered the impact of gun deaths and considered revenge. Sadly, Lennon's death would be used by British radio broadcasters to ban the song upon its release.
I'm Mark Wasserman. Welcome to Two-Tone Legacy, a special audio documentary series of the Ska Boom podcast that focuses on the stories behind 10 iconic songs that contribute to the enduring legacy of two-tone music and its ongoing impact on popular culture. This train is bound for Scaville. All aboard! If pressed to name my favorite album of the entire two-tone era, I would have to say Celebrate the Bullet by The Selector. Surprised? You shouldn't be. In my humble opinion, Celebrate the Bullet broke the mold and remains the most creative and unique collection of songs to come out of the entire two-tone era. The Selector created a haunting, bluesy iteration of ska that, to my knowledge, has never been attempted before or since. For that reason, it is a very unique record, and it goes against the grain of what Two-Tone fans probably expected when it was released. Some of the songs have a new wave feel via synthesized keyboard melodies that buzz over Neil Davies' blistering, bluesy, and soulful guitar solos and riffs. Other times, it's almost undefinable, as the songs are driven by a seamless combination of rock, reggae, and new wave via memorable melodies. In fact, I would argue that the song Celebrate the Bullet is on par with Ghost Town, as one of the best songs of the two-tone era. When the album was released, it took a beating from the critics. That's especially depressing, given the rave reviews for Too Much Pressure, which, while a great record, was almost a by-the-books ska revival recording. Songs like Celebrate the Bullet, Deep Water, Washed Up and Left for Dead, and Red Reflections still give me the chills every time I hear them and demonstrate the huge steps the band had taken since their first LP. Under different circumstance, this record could have really opened up a new path for ska, which is essentially split in two factions, traditional ska on one side and ska punk on the other. Some bands have moved beyond ska, but only the selector dared to expand and evolve the genre. It's too bad they were punished for it when they should have been richly rewarded. Unlike the special's iconic take on British society and Madness's nutty view of English life, the selector's second album comes across like a very dark and serious news story, with Pauline and Arthur Gaps Hendrickson reporting from the front lines of an early 80s Britain straining under the reduced expectations of Thatcherism. As it turns out, the unique synthesis of sounds on the album were forged under the extreme pressure of touring America during 1980. In her memoir, Black by Design, selector lead singer Pauline Black notes that while on tour in America in 1980, the band split into two factions, who occupied separate sections of the tour bus. One faction, led by bassist Charlie Anderson, favored reggae. The other, led by guitarist Neil Davies, leaned more into new wave music like the Talking Heads, Roxy Music, and the Motels. Hence, the birth of the new wave reggae sound. Upon their return to Coventry to begin production of their second album, the differences in the band came to a head when Anderson, who wanted to push the band into deeper reggae territory, and Davies, who wanted to explore more experimental rock territory, could not find common ground. The future of the band was threatened. It fell to Black to step up and ask Anderson to leave. Once Anderson was fired, he was quickly followed out by keyboardist Desmond Brown. The two of them formed a short-lived band, The People. Suddenly, the selector was a five-piece. And though the band was still struggling with internal division and record label pressure, 
to deliver on their second album, they discovered an unlikely short-term savior in the guise of Ian Dury of the Blockheads. The Selector and the Blockheads had both been booked to perform on top of the Pops, and Dury noticed the Selector were short band members. While in an elevator, he offered the services of the Blockheads' talented and innovative bassist Norman Watt Roy. According to Black, Davies had written two songs, The Haunting Celebrate the Bullet and The Melancholic Washed Up and Left for Dead, that laid the blueprint for the second album. They both needed definitive bass lines, the kind of melancholic lines that would serve as the hook. As soon as Watt Roy started playing on the two tracks, it was obvious that he understood the sparing subtlety required to match the evocative vocal lines and poignant guitar melodies. The precision of his playing remains unsurpassed and makes both of these tracks classics of that selector period. The band was moving on stylistically and musically. Have a listen to the track, which still retains all its eerie majesty.
of the song and its writing, Black said, Celebrate the Bullet is still my favorite selector song from the album of the same name. It showed that Neil's songwriting abilities had matured, now that a direction had been set for the band. Finally, the selector floated in calmer waters after the battering that it had taken in its former stormier creation. In my opinion, Neil was way ahead of Jerry Dammer's abilities at that time because the specials were still plagiarizing old ska songs and serving them up as originals. The single Celebrate the Bullet was released on February 6, 1981. It was unfortunate timing. Just two months before, on December 8, 1980, John Lennon had been shot. Radio 1 DJ Mike Reed thought that the band were trying to say something clever about the event, which of course couldn't have been further from the truth. The song has a staunch anti-violence, anti-war theme, but according to Black, irony was never big at BBC Radio. Black writes, The lily-livered fools at Radio 1 took the song title literally, and as ever, underestimated the intelligence of their audience while overestimating their own. It was instantly banned. Chrysalis hurried to put out the album, hoping that when the single was seen in content with the overall sentiments of the album, it would be looked at anew and interest would be stimulated again. This was a sound hypothesis, but even this salvage attempt was blown out of the water when John Hinckley Jr. attempted to assassinate President Ronald Reagan on March 30, 1981. No further mention of the album was made on Radio 1. For all intents and purposes, the band was done. I interviewed Black about the Celebrate the Bullet album and song for my blog about 10 years ago to get her perspective on it years later. She told me, Celebrate the Bullet remains my all-time favorite selector song. In fact, the whole album is full of forgotten and neglected gems. I couldn't agree more. Black explained some of the -the behind-the-scenes discussions in the studio around the recording of the song. When we recorded the song back in 1980, Neil Davies wanted to sing the song. Fortunately for me, Roger Lomas, our producer, made him see sense. It is a surprisingly difficult melody line to sing, not for the faint-hearted vocalist. Neil brought a delicate poignancy to the guitar solo, which is, after all, his forte, that is unmatched by anybody that I've ever heard try to play that solo since. As for the song's band, Black has this to say. It was a shame that the brain-dead moronic DJs who inhabited BBC Radio 1 at that time banned the single version of Celebrate the Bullet. With no airplay, the single was doomed. It was a tremendously upsetting period for the band and largely led to our breakup. But the song has stood the test of time. Its relevance is more obvious these days than in 1981 because we now live in a society with a rampant gun culture and the powers that be seem to have no idea how to deal with it. Like the other songs featured in this series, Celebrate the Bullet is iconic two-tone. Here's what Paul Williams, two-tone expert and author of You're Wondering Now, the specials from Conception to Reunion, had to share about the song. Celebrate the Bullet is another outstanding example of um, two-tone's stance on on social commentary, really. Um, it's very, very dark. And I think it also it captures a lot of many things. I think uh, it captures... Um, the mood around the world in, in the UK. It captures, uh, I think, the mood around Two-Tone and around the selector themselves. You know, the selector had um, lost two valuable members uh, with Desmond Brown and Charlie Anderson around this time as well. I mean, uh, rumour has says they weren't happy with the way the, the new direction was going because Celebrate the Bullet um, uh, and its album 
was its version of more specials in a way, a little bit more scar orientated than probably the more specials even, but still it was a big jump from uh, too much pressure. But the single Celebrate the Bullet was very, very dark. And um, <laughs> would it have gone on to do better if, like, John Lennon hadn't been shot or, or President Reagan, because Reagan was shot around the time of the release of the single. This possibly affected its its sales. It, um, I think it was going to struggle. I think it was going to struggle. Um, I think people were moving away from from social commentary songs and, you know, and what was to come, of course, was the new romantic stuff and all glitz and glamour. But it is an... It, it's an outstanding Stark song, it really is, and um, very up there on on the on the scale of Two Sons' greatest releases. I think you know um, um, the band uh, were trying something different, and you know, and I think if you're involved in music, you need to progress, and that's what the Slater were trying to do, but it didn't work out for them. Uh, it was just bad timing. It was just bad timing, but the actual words and the, and this and, and what they're talking about, and it just captures that really dark, dreary mood around that time. You know, it, it could, it's not about war, it's not about violence, it's not about injustice. Um, and I think it was the, we had a big DJ in the United Kingdom called Mike Reed, uh, who had quite a lot of power on, on, on Radio 1 and he refused to play the track because he thought they were being too clever about describing John Lennon's murder. And it wasn't anything about that. It wasn't anything about that, it was rubbish. Um, but I do think when Reagan was shot, that was probably such bad time I think it really did not help its um, content and release um, but obviously you know um, that's the way it was going to be two times on the way out I think by this time starting to slow down the selector themselves would split up just after this uh, and captured the whole mood of everything that was going on around at that time anecdotally MTV debuted on August 1st, 1981, and if you know your music trivia, then you know that the first video to air on the New Music Cable channel was Video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles. But what you may not know is that the 60-second and 70-second videos to air that day were Rat Race by the Specials and Celebrate the Bullet by the Selector, and each hold the distinction of being the first and second videos to feature both black and white musicians together on the channel. By the time the videos aired on MTV, most of the two-tone bands were moving on from two-tone ska music altogether or breaking apart. But seeing those videos for the very first time on these shores inspired many of the original American ska bands that got their start in the mid-80s. I know it was certainly an important influence for me. Musically and lyrically, Celebrate the Bullet is one of the darkest, bleakest, and most haunting ska songs ever recorded, and I love it more because of that. There's really not enough doom and gloom in modern ska music, even though our current socio-political climate certainly gives young ska musicians more than enough reason to revisit these themes raised in the songs on this album. Pauline Black has always stood by the album, and her current version of the band performed tracks from it live. She told me, Celebrate the Bullet was the selector's proudest and finest moment, and more importantly, didn't pander to what was expected of us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Legacy of Two-Tone. I want to thank my co-producer and engineer, Rob George, for making me sound good, and to Paul Williams for his contribution. My book, Ska Boom, is available from DeWolf Publishing at DeWolf.com. That's D-I-W-U-L-F.com, as well as on Amazon. Thanks for listening, and take care.